Joseph, sometimes I've uh, both appreciated and uh, both appreciated hearing and picturing myself the eightfold path pictured more as a wheel so that right view is showing up at the beginning and at the end. And when I see it this way, I'm confused about the order of mindfulness and concentration. It seems that con uh, concentration might come first, mindfulness second, leading to insight, leading to right view. And am I splitting hairs, or is the, can you tease that out a little bit? Uh, I can just give you a... Uh, perhaps a limited understanding of why it's laid out like that and uh, I'm sure if Analia were speaking these days <laughs> he could say <laughs> he could say much more <laughs> but I'll <laughs> I want to uh, support him <laughs> uh in my understanding, and again, this is just you know one one aspect. Uh, it's the continuity of mindfulness that brings about concentration, and so in that in that particular understanding, it would make sense that mindfulness comes first. We make effort to be mindful. The continuity of mindfulness leads to concentration. The depth of concentration leads us back to right view. So I think. At least from that aspect, there is, a, there is a logic. There may be more, you know, in the understanding of it. Thank you. Raise your hand again, sir. Thank you. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I had a question about the teaching this morning when you talked about the mind that is not clinging, is not agitated, and the mind that and the person that attains personally attains nirvana. And I was curious about the word personally, mm. because it's such an odd word to put into a non-person, non-self, or yeah, at least yeah. we think non-person yeah. and non-self. Yeah. And so I thought maybe it's a translation, maybe it's something else, but why would he say that? unless he's distinguishing one kind of nirvana from another, like a more personal nirvana. I can have a little nirvana now and a bigger one later. Yeah. Again, I, can, I, I did ask Analio uh, because that struck me also, and he said that it's actually a, a fairly accurate translation from the Pali, but I wouldn't over, overthink that term. The, the way I took it was, yes, it's really possible for each of us you know, this can be done, right? And so it just emphasizes that, you know, that you know, when the mind doesn't cling, it is not agitated. And when not agitated, we too can <laughs> experience nirvana. It's not, it, it's not talking about the we, the personally, on some absolute sense. I think it's, it's the use in a very conventional sense, as the Buddha often did. You know, he, he used self and other and, you know, may all beings be happy. He didn't say, may all conglomerations of aggregates in all the realms. No, he, he, he used conventional language when that was appropriate. And so I think that's how I take it anyway. That, and it, it was meaningful to me because it's like, oh yes, you know, this is really possible. So, 
That's how I understand it. It seems like in the um, the fourth um, you know foundation we were given two paths. One is the um, seven um, factors of awakening. Yeah, <laughs> senior moment here, and the uh, you know second is the you know the eightfold path. And um, and from what you were saying earlier that you know one really you know, the seven factors fit into the um, um, right view. But I'm curious that this, in the seven factors of awakening it ends with equanimity, where not with concentration. Whereas in the, um, the eight you know, noble truths, it ends with concentration. Could you maybe explain that? Buddhism how to say this? <laughs> Buddhism is the original book of lists. <laughs> So there are lots of templates, you know, there's the seven factors of awakening, there's the eightfold path, there's the five aggregates, there's the four noble truths, there's the four paths to success, there's, in one teaching, uh, Sayadaw Upandita once, we were just kind of sitting around, he was, I think he was kind of quizzing us a bit. He said, okay, what's, what's the very essence of what the Buddha taught? And people, you know, oh, it's the Eightfold Path. Oh, it's the Four Noble Truths. You know, people. And he said, no. And there's one teaching which encompasses them all, which are called the 37 Principles of Enlightenment. And it includes all of these various aspects. You know, the five spiritual faculties, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the Four Right Efforts. And so it, it really is a very comprehensive understanding of all the components. And just, you know, in different teachings, we might emphasize at a particular time one particular framework or another. Uh, so that's all. I would just, you know, we, we, we can work within a framework either that's being presented at a particular time or one that really seems to connect with us. One I'll just mention now, uh, and I, I had meant to, I had wanted to mention it on the opening night, uh, because I, I just thought it was really interesting, so I'll mention it close to the closing night. <laughs> and it's, it's something called uh, the Four Itty Potters. And that's translated often as uh, the four paths to success, or <coughs> is, that, is that a? Yeah, or the four roads to success, uh, and success in the spiritual sense. And so the four are, these are mental qualities, any one of which can take us to the goal. So the first of them is chanda which is often translated as zeal or enthusiasm. You know, it's just that quality of being enthusiastically engaged with the practice. The second one is virya, is effort. And so this one, this is for people who 
just are, are challenged or, or respond to challenges. You know, if something is difficult, great, I want to do that. You know, and they really respond in that way and they, they arouse this tremendous virya in the face of, of challenge. So they're using effort as their vehicle. The third is called jitta, and I've had a hard time finding the right meaning of it in, in this context. One I came across, and I haven't checked this with my colleague, but it's the one that makes, has made the most sense to me. Uh, but there may be other interpretations. Uh, but in this one interpretation anyway, it said in this context, Jitta refers to concentration. And it just made sense in this list, okay, for some people, that becomes their vehicle. They have a, they have a, a propensity to that, and they can use that for liberation. And the, third, the fourth, I don't remember the Pali, but it's really the investigative mind. You know, it's just looking deeply uh, through investigation. And the reason I like this is because it points out that we each have different tendencies. You know, we each have different strengths. And so it's to recognize, okay, well, what's, what's our particular vehicle? You know, and it's not going to be the same for everybody. You know, so in the teaching, for some people, you know, you give a rousing effort talk, and it just is great. And, you know, people stay up all night and they practice and they're practicing really hard. And for other people, it's completely the wrong thing. You know, they just get self-judgmental. And, and for other people, it's concentration or investigation. I like the fact that there's an array of uh, mental propensities, each one of which can bring us to the end. And so a lot of the different templates just are talking about one or another of these. Thank you. Okay, maybe just one or two more. Um, I enjoyed Anelio's guiding us through metta earlier today. Me me too. And I I wonder... (laughs) 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 So... Nalio is talking, or he's not talking? <laughs> Does he have a sore throat? Out. Or is no, it, no, no, no. <laughs> he's enjoying the peace. Oh, okay. So maybe, Joseph or Nalio, if you'd like to chime in here. Um, I, I wonder if you could say more about the place of metta in a Satipatthana practice, um, or practice in general. Um, just integrating it into practice, and I, I guess I, I worried that because it was such a pleasant feeling, that I would go there whenever the going gets tough, um, which might not be such a bad thing for world peace and stuff. But I'm not sure that it's the right way to go. So I guess whatever you could say about it. Well, first to say that tomorrow night's talk is going to be on metta. So I'm going to just talk about it in a lot of different contexts. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, after the Buddha 
before he became enlightened, but he had done those six years of heavy-duty austerities, and it wasn't getting him you know, to what he was seeking. And it's said that he remembered as a young boy sitting under a tree while his father was doing some plowing ceremony and kind of going into the first jhana and experiencing the peace and the joy of that and reflecting this joy, this peace is not an unwholesome state. I don't need to be afraid of that. And so he saw that those wholesome states of mind, the pleasant wholesome states, can be used in the service of awakening. So the fact that metta can be very pleasant and is very pleasant as it as it really radiates. It's a beautiful, the beautiful state of the heart and mind. That's wholesome. And it can be used as the platform for awakening. But as Analia reminded us at the end of that guided meditation, it's not being attached to it. You know, and so at the end we let go of that too. But that doesn't mean we have to be afraid of the feeling. And we can actually not only not be afraid of it, we can cultivate it and make it boundless. Um, I think that's a nice place to to end with boundless metta. Thank you.